Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, Bird Gang? This is Darren Sproles here. I just want to thank you all for tuning in to Eagles Brawl, the Brawl Network. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is a Brawl Network production. You're listening to the Eagles Brawl Podcast. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! Here to take you on the road to victory. It's Connor Miles, Ed Cross, Johnny Page, and Tyler Steege. All right, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network. However, you're listening, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever you get the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. We are now powered by DraftKings Fanatics and Manscaped. Co-host Connor Miles here, and joining me as always is our Eagles Brawl insider, Ed Cross. Ed, crazy, crazy times with the Eagles. I mean, this is what we say like every time, every time we start off an episode, I feel like, but... I think the craziest thing that I've wanted to finally just talk to you, sit down and discuss was Jeffrey Lurie. The report from Jeff Mosher of Inside the Birds before the game against Seattle was Jeffrey Lurie gave the okay to pull Carson Wentz if he's struggling and insert Jalen Hurts. Now, it's showing once again that Jeffrey Lurie's dominance with his organization, his say, has holds the most weight. Uh, he really is the decision maker of the Philadelphia Eagles, but... Uh, him giving the okay to turn it to Jalen Hurts let, had that on the table for Doug Peterson to go to. And Carson once I mean, for the majority of the game, I felt like he did struggle. I mean, to me, that game was really 20-9. to 9. It wasn't really 23-17. to 17. Um, There was times where you could have changed it to Jalen Hurts. I know Jalen, I mean, his snaps, what, increased to two? <laughs> it wasn't even like he got really any other different playing time. The, the packages that we were assuming that he was going to get the extended playing time the entire series. None of that happened at all. Uh, Doug did not pull Carson once, even during the struggles. He still stuck with his quarterback. What do you make of the situation right now? Do you think Carson once is on a shorter leash week to week now? Yeah, you know, Carson Wentz to me is, uh, you know, right now he's kind of in a fragile state, if you ask me, as far as his confidence goes. So, you know, I think Doug is supporting Carson. And if you you start to mess with that confidence even more, then you're just going to have a ruined quarterback and it's not going to do anybody any good. Uh, as far as Lurie going to him and saying, yeah, you have my blessing or whatever he said to pull uh, Carson during the game. I mean, I, you know, I, you can construe that a couple different ways. Uh, you could think that that's, you know, just Jeffrey letting Doug know, hey, you know, it's your call, kind of reaffirming to him that, hey, it's your call. You can pull him if you want. I don't necessarily think that that's any big giant news that Lurie kind of stepped in here. Um, but, you know, Doug has control of the 53-man roster who play or don't play. And right now, he, I believe that he just wants to support Carson any way he can and not ruin him any further um, at the detriment of the team because clearly Carson could use a different perspective um, you know, whether it's from the sideline or in the coach's booth, you know, atop the stadium, someplace else other than on the field. And whether it's Sudfeld or Hertz that starts, I would like to see Hertz at this point. I'd like to see what he can do. And maybe we'll go that route once the team is truly out of it, which could be sooner rather than later. I mean, they're already pretty much out of it, let's face it. But mathematically, they're still alive. So I think they're going to keep riding uh, went until whenever that day comes when they're out of, you know, out of the race. Um, and that could happen, you know, within the next couple of weeks with these opponents coming up. But, um, you know, we saw Hertz in there for, again, much ado about nothing as far as the reports go earlier in the week from Ian Rappaport about him getting more snaps with the first team during practice. It was really not much to it. He only saw those two snaps. He actually was on the field for three, but Isaac Ciamalu had a false start penalty. Um, but listen, if you're Doug at this point, what good is it to bring Hertz in for these, for these plays? I mean, you know, he, his, his second one that counted, 
was a handoff to Miles Sanders on a third and two where Sanders gains one yard. Now there was a, a there was, I think, an option to the left to throw the ball and pass. It was wide open, but Jalen either didn't see it or didn't want to see it. I don't know what happened there, but he had an open man to the left. I can't remember who it was, but when you look at the at the it game, was Rager. It I was Rager. That, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. It was Jalen. So, you know, whether Hurts didn't see it or he wasn't prepared to see it, um, who knows? But he just gave it to Sanders, and it was a gain of one yard, fourth and one. Uh, and then another issue is – when Hertz did come in, he throws a six yard pass to Jeffrey. Doug said the route was supposed to be a little deeper, pick up more yards, but why not let Jalen dig them out of that third and eight hole instead of just shuffling Carson back in? Um, you know, to me, he's just misusing him completely. Um, I don't think leaving him in another play to complete that series and see if he can make something happen on third and eight would have ruined Carson any further than he already is. But um, I just think Doug's hesitant to to make that, decision right now because Wentz right now is so fragile he's in a you know his major crisis of confidence and and Doug wants to support him as long as he can whether it's for better or worse for the team and the team is supporting him I and mean, he talked to some of these players on zoom and you know they have Carson's back seemingly unless you know again we can't get in the locker room and go one-on-one with players to see if they think any differently because players are sitting in front of 30 40 uh, people on zoom and you know, you don't want to be the one to kind of out the fact that nobody's standing behind Carson or the confidence is waning. So they're, you know, publicly, uh, they're saying they support Carson. A uh, little tidbit from the football Kelly show that she brought to the Eagles brawl. She had Lisa Salters on her show, and uh, Lisa said that she talked to Fletcher Cox. And Fletcher Cox told her, hey, I, I, on the plane ride home from Cleveland, I sat next to Carson and uh I just asked him if he's okay. I mean, I I wanted to genuinely know what's wrong with him. Like, if he's feeling all right, if uh, if this if this pressure's not getting to him, and just let him know that we support him. Like, I'm behind him 100. percent So, I mean, I agree with you. The players are definitely behind him. I just the for Doug. The two things I take away from that: number one, it's crazy that a former quarterback who knows the position very well knows how much. I mean, he was a backup uh, when he was forced into starting roles. It was either due to injury or to be a placeholder for Donovan McNabb. Uh, you would think he would know this is a rhythm job. You need to have rhythm. You need to have a grasp on the game. You can't just randomly insert yourself into these games and make plays like finding that Jalen Rager on that option play when you have no feel for the game whatsoever. That's your first snap. I mean, that's what your second snap of the game. I mean, Jalen Hurts has to throw him, what, three times this year at total? I mean, it's yeah. it's just not fair. It's absolutely not fair to that kid at all. I mean, especially as a rookie quarterback. Uh, if you would have asked Carson once in 2016 to split time with Sam Bradford and come in for these situational plays, he would look awful too. It's just it's it's awful situation. I I, I don't know how Doug Peterson. I mean, basically he's p- putting on the second round pick that Harry Roseman forced on him on the field at this point. That's really what it looks like. That's it. Uh, he's trying to get use out of that second round pick because. For the last couple of years, they haven't been able to since Pedro Arcega Whiteside, and I mean, even Davion Taylor this year hasn't really helped out. I mean, I, I other than that, I really don't know because it's it's awful. Those those Jalen Hurts designs have just gotten worse and worse by the week. It's and then Doug doesn't know how to manage it. It's clearly evident he doesn't know how to manage a two quarterback system. He's not Sean Payton. He doesn't have a wash Drew Brees at quarterback. He still has a quarterback that can make plays and uh, has a career ahead of him. So I, I he doesn't have it. And Jalen Hurts isn't Taysom Hill. It's the truth. He's not Taysom Hill. At all. So, no. I mean, it's just a, it's a horrible situation. Not only that, my thing is, I know you don't want to kill Carson Wentz's confidence because it's already pretty much shot as is. I mean, we're, we're halfway through the season, five games left, and the reports that we're focusing on right now is Carson's not happy about the Jalen Hurts pick. Carson's looking over his shoulder. Like, the, this is Jalen Hurts' first year. Like this this Pandora's box has been opened only a couple of months after drafting him. It's, it's insane. Yeah. But... My thing is, in 2018, I know he was struggling with the back injury. You could have pulled him earlier, though. I mean, his back injury, it was a, he was dealing with it for game in after game out. They finally decided, you know, enough's enough. He's not, he, he's, he's not giving us his – he can't play to his full effect. He can't play to be the Carson Wentz that we know he can be. We need to pull him and put Nick Foles in. He's, why don't you just get to that at this point? Like, hey, you know, this isn't Carson Wentz. Something's not right here. Maybe if we take him away from the game, let him sit back and digest, put Jalen in at this point, do the same thing that we did in 2018, 
But I, I mean, it's a different circumstance. Nick Foles was clearly your backup quarterback, and they made that known pretty well. Carson knew it pretty well. Jalen Hurts is a second round pick, so I get it is different. But I, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, Carson Wentz. It's hard to ignore the caliber of play he's playing right now. It's hard to ignore. It's one of the worst in the league, and we have to accept that fact. And I'm going to lead into this next question here because Peter King came out this week, and I know you know it, uh, being with Sports Illustrated, and he told the Philadelphia radio that he thinks Carson, the Eagles have a Carson Wentz problem on their hands. Like I said, it's it's really, really hard to discount his awful caliber of play this season. It, it's just honestly hard to ignore. How would you describe your faith in Wentz moving forward? Do you think he's fixable? How would you go about fixing it if you do think he's fixable? Well, you know, I think he is fixable, number one. I do think that. And the reason I think that is just because of what we saw out of him earlier in his career. I mean, and even through the last two years, okay, maybe he hasn't played up to par and he's not going to be that, you know, 68 to 70% completion guy, but he still has a, a, a very workable skill set that you can win with. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that wasn't a fluke. Okay. So I believe he is fixable. I think how you do that is you have to find a way to get him in positions to make better plays. And Doug has been asked many times what he thinks the reason is. And he said the offensive line. And I could see that. I could see a quarterback that is really shell shocked from the pressure that he's under. He doesn't have a whole lot of time when he drops back. Okay. So yeah, I could see the offensive line being a big part of this. Um, but remember, he struggled from the get-go, you know, Carson mm-hmm. did, uh, with kind of moving parts on the offensive line. But to not have any stability up there as the season goes along and the hits start to accumulate, you see, you know, the ghosts. You know, you see things that aren't quite there. You're not seeing things that are there. It just messes you all up. Now, I'm not saying that's an excuse, um, but that could be a big reason for it. But I think to fix him uh, in addition to that line and, uh, getting, you know, kind of trying to find that number one receiver. I know Jalen Rager was drafted to be that, but for some reason, Doug hasn't figured out how to use uh, the skill set that Jalen has. So I think you really need to get someone in here as an offensive coordinator that is not Doug Peterson, someone that can call the plays. And if uh, Doug's okay with doing that, um, there are reports that he already has surrendered some of the play calling to Press Taylor, who uh, I'm not sure that's the right option. Uh, Rich Scangarello in the two-minute offense has been reportedly calling some plays in that those situations. Um, again, I'm not sure that's the, the right answer. So I think they really need to find uh, someone that's a strong offensive coordinator who will come in here and call the plays and have a role. You know, we talked about Graham Harrell before the Eagles were interested in him, but he had no interest in coming in to just be whatever it is you do as an offensive coordinator to a head coach who calls the plays. So you know, he, he quickly bowed out of that race. So, you know, Doug has to be agreeable. If he wants to stay, he has to be agreeable to let someone else call the plays. And then Doug becomes, you know, Jason Garrett, who stands on the sidelines and claps or oversees everything. And he sees things from a different position, kind of like what we're talking with Carson, you know, putting him on the bench and letting him see things differently. <clears throat> Doug needs to do that too. He needs to look at things from a different uh, perspective, not just be the play caller. He needs to look at the whole uh, body of this team, including defense, where Jim Schwartz has free reign. But, you know, Doug should have a voice there as well. And if you step away as the play caller, then you have more of a, 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 a you know, an overview of the entire team, not just the offense. So I think to fix Carson, you really need to bring somebody in here um, that's not going to be buddy-buddy with him, who's going to come in here and who's going to call the plays he wants to call. And they're going to work on those plays during the week. Because that's another question is how – you know, we see these slow starts, you know, they're, they're coming out three and out, three and out, three and out. They're not getting first downs until the second quarter. They're scoring four points a game or four points in the first half of the last six games. I mean, that's just terrible. They've been shut out three of those or two of those times uh, in those six games. So, you know, you need to have someone that can come in here and draw up the plays and work on them during the week. So when you come out, bam, you're firing. And I don't care if, you know, you go three and out and you can't get away from your script. You have to script those 15 to 20 plays and you got to stay on with it. Um, and you got to just work them, drill them to death in practice every day leading up to a game. And I don't think they're doing that either. So I think if you brought an offensive coordinator in here, um, you know, who, who knows how to call plays, who, understands the value of working on those plays during the week, I think you can fix Carson. 
I really do. I assume Graham Harrell. I mean, I know Graham Harrell turned this job down because there was no play calling, like you just said, and right. Jim Caldwell too. I mean, the, we never knew what that happened in that situation. I agree. It's because those guys wanted to call plays and weren't going to have any of that issue. And now that's the only way Doug Peterson stays, in my opinion. If he go, if they had that end of the year meeting and Jeffrey goes, you give up play calling, uh, we'll let you. Because I know you used the Jason Garrett example, but here's an example that I think Doug Peterson can actually be, and they actually have similar career paths if he does agree to sit back and be the head coach and be the leader of men that we know he can be. He could be the next Mike Tomlin. He literally could be the next Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin doesn't call any plays for the Steelers. He's just the leader of men. Keith Butler calls defensive plays. They have Randy Fitcher on offense. Uh, they He's never called offensive plays, though. Mike Tomlin's a defensive guy. But it's always been Keith Butler or Dick LeBlow. If you can be Doug Pierce and say, you know, I lead these men very well. Um, I am the guy who agreed with Nick Foles to do the Philly special and trusted my player to do it uh, in the Super Bowl in the biggest stage. I could see that happening. I mean, there was times where Steelers fans were saying, yeah, after they won the Super Bowl and they were struggling a little bit, the Super Bowl against the Arizona Cardinals, and they were struggling a little bit after Mike Tomlin where they said, get rid of Mike. You know, they're not winning under Mike. Get rid of him. And now, I mean, they're loving it out. They've gotten better every year, it seems like. Uh Mike Tomlin sits back, relax, and just leads the show and lets his guy, uh, his coordinators call the plays. I can see Doug Pearson following that path. I can easily see that happening. But if he's not willing to give the play calling, I have to move on. And, you, because- and, and look at Doug. And, and look at Doug when you, you see him on these calls and after games. He, he just looks, you know, he just doesn't look like he he's happy. It doesn't look like he really wants to be here to me. He looks defeated. He looks like a man that lost his job. He, he yeah. does look defeated. And that probably has to do with the play calling. I mean, he loves play calling so much. That I don't think he's comfortable giving it up, but he is because he thinks maybe that'll save his job. But I'm not sure he wants his job to be saved. I I think he could just resign after the year. They could come to an agreement to mutually part ways, uh, and, and then away he goes. And I'm not sure he would jump into another job right away. Um, you know, even though there probably would be opportunities, but I just think he's a man that needs a break. You know, he needs to kind of step away from the game. Um, you know, and, and kind of do some soul searching and see if this is at what he wants to do. Because right now, it just doesn't look like he is happy with what he's doing. And he is a good leader of men. You're right. He is like Mike Tomlin in that regard. I think he's a player's coach. Players like to play for him. We, I don't think we've seen any quit in any of these players so far during, you know, what's transpired. Um, they want to play for Doug. A lot of these players like playing for Doug. They like Doug. Um, and they'll do anything for him, I think, at this point. So, um, I, I think he could transition comfortably into that role, whether or not he wants to. I think that's the question. That is the question because I we saw Trip Kelly get figured out by this league. Doug Peterson's offense has been figured out by this league. I mean, how many weeks do we have to hear defenses saying they knew exactly what was coming right at them until we finally realized that Doug Peterson's offense has been figured out? I mean, it's it's completely evident. The only difference between Doug Peterson's offense is really, I think, Marty Mortywing's influence is this Jalen Hurts package. I mean, I go. And I, I, I've been chasing this theory for a while now, and I finally think that this has to be it, that Marty Morningwig must be drawing up these Jalen Hurts design packages and Doug Pearson's calling them because I don't think it's a coincidence that Marty Morningwig was the offensive coordinator when the Jets bring in Tim Tebow and they have Mark Sanchez and they run these Tim Tebow-type Jalen Hurts design packages with the Jets that were completely awful. And then he goes to Baltimore the year that they have Lamar Jackson as a rookie, and they use Lamar Jackson in the similar role as Jalen Hurts is here with Joe Flacco as the as lining up at wide receiver too. I mean, it, I think there's just too many bad influences on this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, for everyone that call, I, I see it on, I've seen it a couple times that people said, let's let Rich Gangarello, the, the Mike Shanahan guy, the Kyle yeah. Shanahan guy, the guy that's worked with the 49ers is supposed to be this up and coming uh, offensive group. Let's let him call the plays. Let's see what he's got. I don't think people realize what happened in Denver with him last year. I mean, first-year offensive coordinator with a rookie quarterback, uh, an aging veteran, Joe Flacco, who shouldn't be a starting quarterback in this league anymore, mm-hmm. and a, a first-year head coach of Vic Banjo, who's a defensive guy. Scandrello has the whole entire free reign of that offense, and they couldn't get rid of him fast enough. They mm-hmm. couldn't get him away from their rookie quarterback, their young quarterback in Drew Lock fast enough. That's a sign to me. I mean, I, you have to read those tea leaves. I don't think I would want Rich Scandrello in charge of my offense just from what happened in Denver. I don't think it's going to be much better here situation here. So uh, I think just the, the major shock of this whole press Taylor and making him the guy that comes in and calls plays is that it's not Deuce Daly. 
or for my respect, it's not Jeff Statlin. Because I thought Jeff Statlin should be the guy. And I know majority of the fan base feels it should be Deuce Daly. But um, just from knowing the relationship that Press Taylor has to Carson Wentz, where uh, I've been told by people close to that situation that, I mean, Press answers to Carson. It's it's not a coach-player relationship. It's a buddy-buddy, uh, Carson does this, and Press says yes type of relationship. I don't think that's going to be healthy for the offense. I don't think that makes the offense better. Do I think that Press Taylor let Carson Wentz be Carson Wentz more than Doug Peterson has? Sure, but I don't know if that's a good thing right now either. I don't know if that's going to save Carson Wentz either if you let Carson Wentz be Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz is regressing right now. Yeah. So uh, I just think if it was me, and I know a lot of people want to see Deuce Daly, which I understand because they want to see the ball be run more, and they think Deuce Daly would do that. But I think Jeff Statlin being in a Nick Saban type offense, being in a Chip Kelly type offense, being in a Doug Peterson type offense altogether, let that man mix all the schemes that he's been successful in into one. Let him set a tone for the game. Let him get the first half play calling. And then let Doug Peterson take over the second half once the tone's already set. I think that's what would be the best play in my opinion. Not Marty Morningwig, not Rich Gangarello. I'm really not even that big on Deuce Daly like everybody else is, to be honest with you, my friend. I, I, I like Deuce as a coach, respect him a lot. But, I mean, if any NFL team thought about Deuce Daly the way that these Eagles fans are starting to think about him, he would have been way out of Philly by now. He would have had that promotion in line. He would have had that OC job with other teams in, in the bag by now. But, I mean, the guy's been a running back coach for the Eagles and has survived three different staffs for a reason. And he's not getting promoted anywhere else. He's not getting chosen for the other jobs. I'm not sure. I mean, I think some coaches are meant to just be position coaches. I I think Justin Peel is a great tight end coach. I think that's what he's just meant to be. I think Jeff Statlin's a great offensive line coach, a really great offensive line coach, one of the best in the league, actually. I think that's where he's just meant to be. I don't think he's meant to be an offensive coordinator. I don't think he's meant to be a head coach. I think Deuce Daly is just meant to be a running back coach. I don't think he's meant to be in a whole entire offensive court. That's an opinion, though. It's yeah. not like I can prove that with anything. But uh, what, well, I understand who you able to pick. Who would you pick, Ed? Well, I, you know, listen, I would probably go with Deuce myself. I know that's what the whole fan base wants. And, you know, you could say that he hasn't had the opportunity, if he was any good, that he would have had the opportunity. I mean, Deuce likes being in Philadelphia. You know, he's one of those rare coaches that has been in one place um, for 10 years, really. You know, and right. Um, Same. You know, that that that's, you know, I mean, that could be his choice, too. Um, but I just think Deuce at this point, I mean, he's been the assistant head coach, whatever, you know, that means. But I just think when you talk about a body of work, you mentioned Stoutland with different schemes he's been in with Saban and, you know, throughout his career, different offenses. I mean, Deuce is the same way. You know, he started in this organization. He went to Pittsburgh, a great organization came back and now he's been here through a couple different regime changes. I mean, I think he's got a great body of work. Uh, I think he understands an offense and I think he would be fine calling plays. And I don't understand why the Eagles, well, I kind of do understand why the Eagles went with press Taylor. I mean, it's just kind of an indictment on what they've done for Carson. To me, they've done everything to enable Carson Wentz on this team and making press Taylor, his offensive play caller or his, you know, his, his quarterback coach because they're buddy buddy. That's just part of it. I mean, they've they've done everything they can to make sure Carson Wentz has what he needs. And you could argue that okay, maybe he doesn't have the playmakers, but you know they thought they had Jalen Rager as one and could become one. But uh, you know they've drafted players that have been part of Carson's agency um, through the years. There's several players that they've drafted to to kind of keep him and his agency happy and. Uh, this is what we get now. We have a quarterback that is off the rails and nobody can fix him because they've been enabling him. And that's why they went with Press Taylor, quite frankly, um, because he's Carson's friend and they think that that could help. Um, so I would have gone with Deuce. I don't think Deuce is an, an enabler of any kind. I mean, when you talk to Deuce, he's pretty candid. You, you know, we asked about Miles Sanders a couple of weeks ago, like, why isn't he more part of the offense? And he says, Miles has to tighten up his hands. I mean, that's a blatant you know, shot that Miles needs to catch the ball better. Um, so Deuce isn't going to sugarcoat anything. He's going to come in and he's going to give you that tough love um, that this, fr- frankly, the Carson and this organization needs. I mean, I wouldn't even be adverse if Doug were to step away to really give serious consideration to Deuce being the head coach, to be quite honest. Um, but not giving him the play calling, um, that to me is a mistake. Uh, you know, if that's 
the reports are true. And Doug's going to, you know, Doug will tell us probably going into the game exactly what his plans are, play calling wise, hopefully. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to give Press Taylor, who really is very limited in his experience, never called plays before, uh, the duty of calling some plays. I just think that you need a more seasoned guy and there's someone that's going to bring kind of a tough love. And, and Deuce is that guy. Yeah, that's good. It'd be all great points on there. I I would have took anyone literally at this point, but I really wanted either Jeff or if it was not Jeff Deuce. Yes, I mean you're right. Three different systems played in Pittsburgh. That's a great point that I've completely left out uh, in my evaluation of him. I yeah, I mean anybody but what's going on right now, and I don't think Press Taylor is going to help out much either, just because of what you said. And I mean, I feel like you're just going to. If Press Taylor's calling plays, he's like, Carson, what are you feeling? Like, what do you want to do? And I don't think that's what you want right now. I don't think you want Carson Wentz making those decisions. I think you want to simplify it as much as you possibly can for him. I, I don't think Press Taylor is the reason to do that, though. But It's, it's the uh, old thing, just quick. You know, the, incent- the inmates are running the asylum. I mean, that's kind of right. what's happening here uh, as far as Carson goes. He's been given every uh, everything that he's wanted Uh now, maybe last year in the draft, he could have said he didn't want Jalen Hurts. He would have preferred someone to help the defense or, you know, another receiver. But um, for the most part, the Eagles have given him everything. And Preston Taylor's part of that. So, I actually, you, you mentioned Jalen Rager and being this play. I think they had the playmakers. Honestly, I think it's Carson being wildly, I mean, inaccurate because he has been. I mean, when he's targeting Jalen Rager, this gets the Seattle game. I mean, I, I did not think he threw him a catchable ball. Honestly, I did not. So, deeper pass, because I know he has some shorter pass, but deeper passes, I don't think he threw him a catchable ball. Uh, I finally was talking to Monte one-on-one, and I, I I know he was professional when he came on the show and interviewed with us, but I was like, Monte, you're, you're an ex-NFL player. You know what's right and what's wrong when playing the game of football. You cannot tell me Doug Peterson is utilizing your son to his best ability. Finally admitted, said no, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I agreed. I said, I think there the one thing that I have an issue with Doug Peterson is I don't think he could scheme well for receivers. I don't I think you could finally hang your hat on that. Uh numerous examples of why I think that. Look what Nelson Aguilar is doing right now in Las Vegas. Now he's not a starting wide receiver, he's a rotational guy in Vegas. I don't want to make everybody throw up their hands and cause a scene by mentioning his name on this podcast, but I mean guy does have six touchdowns and he makes a play every time the Raiders put him in. He's their one deep shot a game and he'll make the play receiver for that team. The Eagles could love that right now. The Eagles would absolutely love for him to have that role with this team right now and do what he's doing in Las Vegas with that. You see that the fact that they haven't had a 1,000 yard receivers under Doug Peterson. I know they've been close a couple of times, but they it, they just haven't. It's, other than Zach Ertz, who's a tight end. They haven't had a wide receiver to get 1,000 yards. In a passing error league, Ed, it's a passing error league. You sh- This should be normal. You should have wide receivers close to that range. I know how he has a hand in this, too. But looking back, Chip Kelly's three years here. Two of those three years, they had a 1,000-yard wide receiver, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin. Doug Peterson comes aboard. You do add wide receiver talent. You do add Alshon Jeffrey. You do add – you have Nelson Aguilar here that has young and has potential – you have Torrey Smith. You do have Deshaun Jackson comes back, but he's been injured. Draft Jalen Rager, so on and so forth. You have options. You have Travis Fogelman, who was on pace at one point to be finally that first 1K wide receiver. Now he's not anymore. He's an afterthought in the system. I think this, we're complaining about Doug's offense so much, but instead of blaming the receivers, blaming the drafting of these receivers, why don't we finally sit back and say, maybe this offense isn't now wide receiver friendly. Maybe the system that Doug's calling isn't really helping the receivers out. Because I'll tell you right now, I've talked to Zach Ertz a couple times about this. He thinks J.J. Arcega-Whiteside would be good with any other team. He thinks it's just him being in the system is the reason why he hasn't panned out. Now, I'm not saying that's the truth. That's his personal opinion. I, I think there might be some Stanford bias involved with that one as well. But he thinks himself, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside would be great in another offense. I don't know. Maybe he's right. I mean, I'm looking at all these wide receivers that struggle in Philadelphia. I mean, and then I look at what Aguilar is doing in Las Vegas. I guarantee you if Jalen Rager's on another team, if the Vikings draft him instead of the Eagles, I, I think he's balling out, Ed. I, I, I mean, that's my personal opinion. That's not a fact. 
That's my opinion. I think if he drafts another team, I think he's balling out. I think we blame these wide receivers. We go so harsh into them that Carson doesn't have the playmakers. Well, I don't think that's a good excuse this year. I think Carson doesn't have the offensive line this year is a good excuse. But, I mean, I I think you can turn on the film and you can see these guys getting open. You can see these guys being in the place to make plays. And Carson just misses them. I mean, he is struggling very, very much with locking onto that initial read every single play and going with that read this year, I think, more than ever before. I know that's been a struggle of his in the past, but I think it's been extremely highlighted more than ever before that he goes with his initial read. I do not blame the playmakers this time around. I blame the system and I blame the offensive line that really is what this team built through is through the trenches this year for the offensive struggles more than I do the receiver talent. I think Carson with his play this year is holding these young receivers back. Yeah. A couple things there. I think, um, you know, you talk about coaches are supposed to be teachers, right? So they're supposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, you're getting, you know, 21, 22 year old kids basically into your system coming out of college wide-eyed at the professional level and your job is to teach them and to, to play to their uh to their uh, talent and yeah the the coaches haven't done that from doug on down to the position coaches is aaron moorhead doing his job there as well he's the receivers coach um you know they have they have to do a better job of teaching these guys how to play the professional football game and they really they haven't done it and that leads to the question would would justin jefferson or dk metcalf have come in here and had the same kind of success that they're having with their teams right now with this coaching staff in this system. I mean, you have to wonder, you know, if DK Metcalf would be like JJ Ortega Whiteside, kind of like struggling, not really knowing what he is because they don't know how to use him. Um, that's a big part of it. And and when you look at the offense that it, that it became when Doug came on board, it's been 12 personnel. It's been two tight end dependent. You know, you had Brent Selleck, uh, and and Zach Ertz and you know earlier in his career and now you have Ertz and Goddard and it's been 12 personnel so maybe they just don't know how to you know make that transition I know they want to go to more you know 11 personnel traditional three receiver sets but um, you know have they been able to you know study a lot of that because it doesn't look like it because they had the opportunity with Zach being out for the last five or six games to make that transition and still they don't do it they're still using Richard Rodgers a lot and Dallas Goddard a lot they still haven't figured out how to get their uh, wide receivers deployed properly Um, and that just could be because they haven't done it for five years under Doug it's always been two tight ends exactly exactly my point that's on the head coach the head coach is comfortable in 12 personnel the head coach cannot call out of 12 personnel that's a problem that's a huge problem so I love look I love 12 personnel the Eagles have never had the wide receiver talent consistently on the outside to exploit what 12 personnel could truly be in this offense with Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. And it's been a shame because we're never going to see it. We're never going to finally see what 12 personnel could finally be because I fully believe Zach Ertz has gone in the offseason. So that's a shame to me because if you have 12 personnel, and I know for a fact, and you made the report too, the Green Bay Packers and the Baltimore Ravens were interested in Zach Ertz before he got landed on the IR. That's two teams that would immediately deploy 12 personnel if they trade for Zach Ertz because they have Robert Tanya in Green Bay and they have Mark Andrews in Baltimore. And the reason why they want to deploy 12 personnel right away is because, I mean, Green Bay, you have Devontae Adams. You have Devontae Adams on the outside and you run 12 personnel. That 12 personnel formation is going to be insane. It's gonna Those tight ends are going to thrive. With the Eagles, you have not had that. You have not had the receiver talent to match that, to exploit the mismatches that those 12 personnel can give you. For offense. Right. I love 12 personnel. I wish it would have worked out here. I truly believe if Doug Peterson had the receiving talent on the outside and was able to scheme the receiving talent better than he has been since being the head coach of the Eagles at 12 personnel, we would never talk about it in a bad light, Philadelphia. We would always want it. We would want to keep Zach Ertz. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think the head coach and his system, offensive system, can last outside of 12 personnel. And that is a problem because, like you said, the Eagles want to move away from that. Well, let's see what happens now. You know, Zach is supposed to come back, uh, you know, Sunday against Green Bay, um, although he has been limited in practice with the ankle injury. So we'll see how much of a role he plays. But, 
you know, that's what we talk about with this team and it, having no identity on offense. It really doesn't because are they 11 personnel? Are they 12 personnel? Are they a running team? We don't know. And now we're going to see with a healthy Zach returning with Dallas Goddard, are they going to go back to all of a sudden being a 55 to 60% 12 personnel formation uh, each game? I mean, that, that to me would be a clear indicator that the, the 11 personnel, the three receiver thing didn't work out. So now we're going to go back to what we know when really they want to transition into 11 personnel. And look, Connor, a lot of this could come back to the offseason where they really couldn't make that transition on the field. Everything had to be done virtually and they made these changes. And, you know, we've seen it even on defense with, the, you know, they haven't played as much three safety look, uh, which is a big change. And they didn't have an offseason to make these changes. This organization made a lot of changes in what they do schematically or wanted to do schematically during an offseason where they really couldn't get on the field and show it and teach it. They had to do it all virtually. So, you know, that's that that's indicative of, of another problem to me. It's just they just should have stuck with what they know. Uh, and I know 12 personnel by losing Zach, that kind of hurt them. But they, they should know how to do three wide receiver set. You have, you know, three or four different coaches in there that surely know have some idea of how to get the most out of that formation, but they haven't figured out how. Absolutely. I it's insane, and I know that's the direction that you even reported yourself they want to go in is 11 personnel anyway. So I I just haven't seen that one performance. that well, I mean, they haven't really run 11 personnel that much that well anyways, but I haven't seen that one performance from Dallas Goddard that maybe see, makes me think, yes, this is it. Like this is They have to move on from Zacharis. They have to feature the Dallas Goddard more. And I know that injury hasn't helped, and I mean, this offense just struggling hasn't helped either, but I mean, Richard Rodgers is doing just fine. Uh, Richard Rodgers is pretty much the MVP for the tight end position this year so far for the Eagles. So uh, just a lot to look into. I mean, insane. Uh, Real quick, what do you think? Because you mentioned the the third safety. I I think uh, releasing Will Parks makes sense from a standpoint of he didn't have a future with his team. Uh, They really love Jalen Moses' safety. Want to see what they have in Marcus Epps and Kayvon Wallace. I don't know about Epps, but... Uh, they want to see what they have in Marcus came uh, on Wallace. And then they have uh, Arnold too coming off the practice. Graylin Arnold coming off the practice squad now and on the active roster. But I know Will Parks was, I think he complained about playing time on Instagram and that's what really led to this. And I mean, they were shopping him during the trade deadline too. Uh, what'd you think about this release though? Well, it's like you said, I mean, they weren't using him. Uh, there was no role that really developed for him, and it's because they play more of the, the, you know, they're not really going with that three safety look they have in the past. They're playing more with two tight or uh, two linebackers uh, than they have in the past. And, you know, Singleton's really kind of grown into that role, if you ask me. I mean, you know, he. I looked the other day. I mean, Singleton has fewer snaps than Nate Gary, and he has seven or eight more tackles than Nate Gary had in that time. So um, I think that kind of – um, you know, and again, that was something that didn't develop until just a few weeks ago with Singleton. But for most of the season, the Eagles have gone with the two safety looks. So I would like to see more of Kayvon Wallace and, you know, Marcus Epps. They seem to like a lot when Jim Schwartz calls you Epsy. I mean, that's kind of an indicator that he likes you. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, but I'm again, I'm just not sure how many snaps there are going to be for that third safety in a defense that seems to be moving away from that for whatever reason. Now, you know, maybe we'll see it more with Wallace and Epps, but uh, right now it looks like it's just going to be that two safety look. And you know, Jalen Mills is here on a one year deal. You you know, you say what about Parks's future? And yeah, he didn't have one here, but what's Mills' future? I mean, he's you know, he, he seems to me to be inconsistent. I mean, he had a good game against. Uh, you know, last week, um, but he's just too inconsistent for me, and he's on a one-year deal. I know Schwartz loves him, and if he's still here, Mills will probably come back on another one-year deal because Schwartz loves him so much. But you know, they drafted Kayvon Wallace, who really should be a bigger part of this defense right now. I mean, everybody you talked to uh, going into the draft thought Kayvon Wallace would be a starter uh sooner rather than later and now here we are later and he still hasn't played much of a role after week four when he was on the field for a bunch of snaps so to me it's just it's a mess uh as far as that goes I think Wallace should be playing more I think you could make the case that he should be starting ahead of Mills just because you know what's Jalen's role going to be next year he's a free agent again um let's see what Wallace can do I mean Everybody seems to think he has the skill set. He was drafted in the fourth round. A lot of people loved him, 
but yet he can't see the, the light of day on the field. I agree. I'd like to see a little bit more of Kalen Wallace going forward. That'd be great. But another odd commitment outside of Jason Peters that the Eagles have is lately to Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, he's having a complete timeshare with Travis Fogan, which was supposed to be your first one K wide receiver in, in since 2014. Uh, now that's not a, that's an afterthought. Only logic I could see, and I talked to you off air, is I Doug just showing loyalty to players. I think Doug really cares about showing loyalty to his players. Alshon Jeffrey was a huge part of bringing a Lombardi to Philadelphia. We'll never forget it. But, I mean, at this point, you're asking to get fired playing him over Travis Fulgham. I think that's just silly. Um, my only excuse for doing it, especially as a three-win team at this point in the season with five games left, is that you're trying to, to show to your roster, I'm a leader of men. I love you guys. I play for my players. I'm going to show loyalty to one of our Super Bowl anchors uh, and Alshon Jeffrey. And then maybe when I get hired by my next job, that locker will automatically see these le- these things that I did in Philadelphia and automatically buy into me. That's the only excuse I can come up with, Ed. That's literally it. I really can't come up with any other excuse for why Alshon Jeffrey. I know he's getting paid a lot. I know the contract situation, but I mean, the guy bashed your quarterback, bashed your GM, bashed your tight end, uh, has shown that he's completely fallen off a cliff talent-wise. Uh, it looks like he should retire to me, the way that he's running routes and how he's playing football. What like, what do you make of that? What do you make of him playing 49% of the snaps this past weekend? Yeah, uh, it's very strange, for sure. I mean, he only played two fewer snaps than Fogum, and Fogum's a guy you really should be developing here. Um, but you're right about the loyalty. That's the only thing I can pinpoint. I mean, they've done that, you know, throughout the years here. I mean, look at Jason Peters. You know, they were going to go with him at left tackle over Jordan Mulata, who another guy should be developing and, frankly, probably is better at this stage of his career. But they went back to Peters and they put Mulata on the bench. I mean, it's just this loyalty to these veteran players um, that, to the detriment of the team, doesn't work. I mean, it, it, it's uh, it's it's mystifying, frankly. And Jeffrey should not have a role. You're right. I don't know why he has any role. Sure, if you want to bring him in for five snaps, go right ahead. But now Ortega Whiteside's off the COVID list, where he was for two weeks. I mean, you know, do you put him in? Or are you going to make him inactive again? I mean, he was inactive before he went on the COVID list. Um, so right. probably will be. And again, a second round pick that you still want to kind of see if you can get something out of. And yet you're going to throw Jeffrey out there, who's in the last few days of his Eagles career, maybe his NFL career. Like you said, he doesn't look like the same guy. Maybe in the offseason when he becomes a free agent, he'll work on his game and someone will take a chance on him, probably will. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure he's done. Um, maybe he he's still being affected by that Liz Frank injury. And clearly him and Carson don't have that same chemistry that they may have had you know, in previous seasons. But to me, he looks done, and I, again, I don't know why the Eagles just run him out there. Maybe the contract, clearly the loyalty, that's a big part of it. Do you think we jumped on the Travis Fulgham hype train a little too quick, or do you think it's more of a lack of usage towards him, a lack of going his way, a lack of the offense really scheming through him like they were earlier? I know Doug has said if Travis wants to be an elite wide receiver this league, he needs to – learn to shake this this attention that he's starting to get. Uh, but I, from watching the All-22, I disagree. I think mm-hmm. they're just leaning away from him now, which is just completely mystifying to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, uh, they need to find ways to keep getting in the ball early, too. You know, don't wait till later in the game. Find a way to get him open early. You know, a quick out, a quick slant, get the ball in his hands early, get him into the, the flow of the game. Say when Jalen Rager. You know, both those guys, you know, get them going early on, um, get their heads in the game, you know, uh, and and make make them your first read, quick reads, and let Carson get the ball out of his hands, you know, because there are times those guys are open and Carson's not delivering the ball or he's throwing it at half a second too late. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Fulgham is a guy, a big body guy that they should be developing along with Jalen Rager, and these should be two very important parts of your offense going forward. And even Greg Ward hasn't seen a whole lot of activity, you know. Um, It's just really bizarre how this offense can't function um, no matter who the receiver is. 
Yeah, it's insane. But I mean, I agree with you. Carson Wentz is best when it's up tempo. I mean, I would go up tempo with him, put Fogum and Rager on the outside, line up and twelve personnel if you have to when Ertz is Ertz is back. Have Fogum and Rager on the outside. Just quickly go to them each time. Quick, quick, in and out. Quick doesn't have to be. I mean, that twelve personnel is mostly dump offs and and intermediate stuff. Anyways, it's it's not supposed to be downfield type stuff. Anyways, so just go with what worked. See if it helps your quarterback gain some some type of confidence and then start talking about opening the playbook a little bit more. I think, unfortunately, you do have to revert back to what worked best for your, to help your quarterback get out of the funk that he's in. So I do think you have to, with Ertz being back, you do have to revert back to 12 personnel. But I picked up the tempo. Go completely up-tempo. What's stopping you, really? I mean, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think you have much to play for anymore. I think the only thing that you have to focus on, that, forget the NFC East at this point. If it happens, it happens. I mean, this division's winnable no matter what. But I think your main focus in these next five games is how can I help Carson Wentz get out of his funk? Because no matter what the fans say, no matter what sports radio says, no matter what the outside opinion is of Carson Wentz, we're tied to this guy. He's our starting quarterback in 2021, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. We need to make sure that at the end of this season, whether the Eagles are a playoff team or not, that he's at least trending in a better direction because 2021 is going to be right around the corner. So I, I agree with you. I go back to what they what works best now that Zach Ertz is back. I don't think he's going to be back at 100%, but he is still going to get the attention of every defensive coordinator that the Eagles play from here on out. I go back to what's worked. I go completely up-tempo, and I agree. I, I These quick slants, these quick passes to Jalen Rager, get his rhythm started get his confidence built back up because unfortunately his confidence isn't really there right now either. And help your quarterback out, get him out of this funk before the season ends. Cause if you don't and you go into an off season with all these questions, I think he can fall apart. I mean, if he ends, if they end the season, and we're still having the same discussion that we are having now. And you have the potential of Jalen hurts also in the wings with this discussion going on. It, this could really tear the whole entire Eagles organization apart. Yeah. And especially and the starting quarterback. So yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think you need a different voice too. I mean, in the off season, you have to get Carson a different voice. Um, we saw it work with Jared Goff in Los Angeles when they got rid of Jeff Fisher and they brought in uh, Sean McVay. Um, everybody thought Goff was a bust. Um, and we've seen what Fisher or uh, McVay's done with him. So I just think you need a different voice for Carson too. This, these voices that are around him now just aren't working. Right. You, and I will mention, you did, you and I were talking, and I, I think I agreed with you too, because that Seattle game was just it for me. At that point, I was like, okay, Doug's got to go. This is not going to work anymore. I mean, this guy is just completely stubborn. This is a historically bad pass defense, and they mustered nine points for the majority of the game. It was inexcusable to me. I said, you know what? I, I've been through when the Andy Reid era was clearly at the end. Yep. I've been through the Chip Kelly era when it was clearly at the end. This game signaled to me that this is clearly the end. This is the game where Jeffrey Lurie has on his mind when he goes into his end-of-the-year meetings. Uh, you texted me, too. You said, I think they fired Doug now. Now, I know that this is both of us filling off that game reaction, but do you still think, I know that there's five games left, but at this point, do you think right now Jeffrey Lurie is thinking about the next head coach of this team? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, but... Again, it could come down to is Doug willing to accept the changes that the Jeffrey wants to see, uh, which should be pretty substantial, giving up play calling, bringing in an offensive coordinator that is you know actually going to call the plays and work with the quarterback, bringing in probably a new quarterback's coach, giving Carson some different voices um, at this stage of his career and and showing some tougher love to Carson. You know, we saw it work with um, you know Steve Filippo and, and Frank Reich. Um, it can work again, uh, but Doug has to be agreeable to it if he's not, or if he's just kind of like we've said earlier, just kind of feeling beaten down and needs a change and isn't happy with, you know, some of the things that are going on here. Um, then you just let him go. And I think Jeffrey absolutely has to be thinking about who could fill in for Doug or step in for Doug, I should say, um, should that be the case. So, yeah, I think Doug will be, you know, I think there's a better chance that he's, he's gone at this point when the season ends, um, then there is a chance of him agreeing to changes. 
just because I just don't think he looks real happy. Um, he doesn't look like he wants to be here. Um, so I think that'll play into it too. So I think, yeah, I think there's a really, really good chance that they're moving on from Doug uh, once this season ends, probably after Washington comes here on January 3rd. I agree. I think it's a mutual parting league. Like we said earlier, I think they would just agree to a mutual parting because I don't think, I think this was Doug Peterson's second chance and a lot of people are missing it. I think when they fired Mike Rowe, when that decision was made, because that was not Doug's decision, that was Jeff Reed and Howie's decision to fire Mike Rowe. That was them saying, this is your last chance. Like, we need this offense to not look like what it just did following the end of the season, because it was bad. You had a 4,000-yard passer, Carson Wentz, first 4,000-yard passer in the Eagles franchise history, but none of your receivers matched over 500 yards. The offense was completely stale. There was no big plays. There was no big shots. There was no... Nothing exciting about this offense. It was really dinking dunk 12 personnel. I don't think Jeffrey wants that. I don't think Howie wants that. I think you're right. And you said this multiple times on this show that they want to transition to 11 personnel. I think the moves that they brought in with not having the offense quarter, letting Doug win that battle of, okay, you don't want to have a play call. You don't want anybody coming in and calling plays. You want full play call on duty. Fine. You win. We'll let you do that this year. We're going to bring in these assistants to help you build the system up and put different looks into it because uh, the looks that you're showing now are bland. They're vanilla. They're not that great. They're not explosive. We need to add that explosion. So that's what Jeffrey thought he did with bringing Scandarello in, bringing Marty Morningwing in, getting Aaron Moorhead in here to be the wide receivers coach. I don't think you can go into this offseason and say, okay, Doug, this plan A didn't work. I'm going to try plan B. Hopefully if that, if that doesn't work, we got plan C. No, you can't just keep coming up with all these plans. You right. tried something. You entrusted your coach, your super wooden head coach, to fix this offense from what it was in 2019, turn it into something a little bit better with all these different voices around, and then see how it goes. Because Mike Rowe is basically your scapegoat. Now you get rid of Mike Rowe, the offense gets worse. There's only one person you can blame at this point, and it's the head coach, Doug Peterson. So I agree with you to a sense that maybe because of the Lombardi Trophy, and because of the tie, the locker room loves Doug, like you said. I mean, the players love Doug. Jeffrey has to consider that. Now, he didn't have to consider that with Chip because everybody wanted Chip gone. It was, his time was up. Everybody in the locker room agreed it was time for him to move on. I don't think you would have the same reception of that in the locker room with Doug. So I think, yes, there is a chance where you sit down at the end of the year meetings and say, okay, well, you're going to give this another shot. My thing is, if you give it another shot, it doesn't get better. Not only did you just waste another season which another season of Brandon Graham's great production, another season of Rodney McLeod playing great, another season of so on and so forth of these guys playing good veterans that were about to be on the way out. And you decide, Hey, I have to redo my whole entire coaching staff. Once again, I think you finally have to make that decision at the end of the year is, are we in with Doug or are we out with Doug? And if we're in with Doug, we're going to go back to 2016 mile uh, style of building with Doug and, putting all those guys around him, like you said, like a Frank Wright, John Filippo type. If we're not in with Doug and he's not on board with that, we need to find that head coach. We need to find that guy. We need consistency at the head coach position for once because firing a guy after three years and firing a guy after five years, that's not what we're about. We're about the Andy Reid 14 years. Let's keep building. So I think they finally need to figure that out this offseason, but I don't, I don't know if Doug's a part of that. I honestly, at this point, don't think that he can be. I think if you tell him, hey, we're going to go this way with uh, bringing in this offense coordinator, bringing this quarterback coach, and they who says they go on to it works. They go on to win a Super Bowl. Well, guess what? Those guys are going to get jobs. Then those guys are going. Some one of those guys going to get a head coach job like Frank did. And are you back in this situation again? That's a problem. I, I think you have to really consider that too. Yeah. So I think if it's me, I love Doug. Thank God for him because without him, there's no Lombardi in Philadelphia. But I think his candle is out. I don't think he has a feel for this offense. I don't think he has a feel for play calling. I did say the Mike Tomlin sentiment in the beginning of the episode, which I wouldn't mind seeing, but I think you built this man's ego up so much by putting it. You have a statue out in front of the stadium. You cannot go into that, the Novacare complex, the Lincoln Financial Stadium, not be reminded of Super Bowl 52. That's everywhere. It's in your head. I mean, the guy has a book right behind Ed. I think you built this guy's ego up, way, Doug's ego up way too much, where you could sit back and say, we're going to bring all these guys in now and try to help you out like we did when we first hired you. I, don't, I think that's, 
I think you already crossed that path, man. I don't think you can go back to where you first started with Doug after everything that's already happened, the ego you already built. I don't think he would allow it. Well, you know, and here would be another thing you probably have to factor in is what's the composition of this roster going to be like next season? I mean, you're you're so far over the salary cap that you're going to have to make some really tough decisions on some veteran players. You're going to have to let some guys go. And more or less, this team's going to be, should be a lot younger. Um, I mean, you could probably get some more veteran type players in here cheaper. Um, probably no big names, of course, because you're not going to be able to pay anybody. So you're going to be looking at a roster that's going to be full of, you know, previous draft picks, younger players, cheaper talent. Um, you know, will you still have Fletcher Cox next year? You know, will you still have Lane Johnson and or Brandon Brooks? I mean, these are guys that, you know, have big salaries against the salary cap. And so you're going to have a completely different looking roster next year. Every year is different, of course, roster wise. But next year, I think even more so with more younger players being in the mix. And can Doug coach uh, that sort of team? Or do you need to bring in someone that can relate to the younger player? You know, a younger guy, maybe. I'm not saying, you know, Doug can't relate to them, but it has to be part of the equation is can he uh, relate to these younger players um, or do the younger players need a harder hand um, to come in and to, to kind of, you know, crack the whip, so to speak. So that's going to have to be part of it, too, is can Doug relate to a younger roster and and, and produce a winning product? Agreed. So just to end the show, Ed, I know I'm not even going to waste your time because we've said it on previous episodes, and I still believe it, and you still firmly believe it. Howie Rosen's back with his team no matter what next year. Uh, Jeffrey Leary is not going to get rid of his adopted son. <laughs> but there is a, I think there might be a chance that they try to replace a Joe Douglas-type role perhaps. I know Andy Weidel is really supposed to be that guy. I don't know. I think that there's a chance that they bring in, like, let's just say a John Dorsey type into the organization to work hand in hand with Howie and, and Andy, someone that will accept that position. Because I think at this point, John Dorsey would be a good, good guy to accept that position. I don't think you can ask like a, an Ed Dodds per se, that works with the Indianapolis Colts under Chris Ballard to come in with Howie Roseman still being here and still having some kind of decisions or some kind of, some kind of say, I don't think you can, you're going to get a GM like that. I think you're going to have to get a former GM who is willing to not to come in here and work hand in hand with somebody else because uh, there's not many other opportunities on the table. Or there's not teams out there jumping out to you to come to work for the team. I think John Dorsey would be a good example of maybe that guy that you bring in and do that with, uh, with his Green Bay ties, with all he has around the league with Cleveland. He did he did bring some talent to Cleveland, but uh, that's one of the guys I can think off the top of my head just for an example. But other than that, I don't really because I mean you can't ask Lewis Rigg to work with Howie Roseman. It's not going to happen. I know a lot of people want to see Lewis Riddick with his team, but I mean, him and Howie had bad blood. And if anything, he he, he showed you that during that Monday night uh, while he was in the booth. I mean, he completely destroyed Howie. I know that their time during the Dream Team years, I think, negatively affected Lewis Riddick's career, to be honest with you. I think the way that that Dream Team unfolded kind of put a bad light on his personnel uh, front office tenure where maybe that's why he doesn't have one right now. Maybe he does blame the Eagles for that. Maybe he blames Howie for that. Maybe there is bad blood there. I don't think Lewis Riddick works with Howie Rosen, but you and I are on the same page that they don't get rid of him. Do you think that there's any chance that they do trying to bring in like a Joe Douglas type role guy or any type of guy to, to have some kind of say on the personnel to help Howie with it? Well, you're right. Andy Weidel's supposed to be that guy. Um, to me, I just think you need a clear delineation between who's making the calls with the GM spot and, and who isn't. I mean, and that's been Howie. I mean, Joe came in and yeah, he had a pretty influential role. They had a decent working relationship. Um, but that doesn't always happen with everybody. I mean, it's it's one thing to say, yeah, bring somebody in to do that. But what's that relationship going to be? What's it going to look like? Uh, will it be strained? Will it be a success? I mean, it just happened to work with Joe. And uh, I just think you need a clear delineation. And if you're you're going to do that, I just think you need to tell Howie, look, you're still a part of this organization, but we're going to put you in a different role. And the person we bring in is the one who's going to be kind of the final say on the personnel front. Um, I don't think you can have, you know, kind of that two-headed monster as a GM calling the shots. I mean, I just don't think it would work. And, you know, we've seen Andy Weidel now. He's working in that Joe Douglas role with Howie. Um, so we already have that. Uh, you know, I don't see who would replace Weidel. I mean, they like Andy, uh, as far as I can tell. 
Uh, he's really only been in the role for, you know, two years now, I think it is. So um, I don't see the value in replacing Andy for somebody else. I could see maybe a different voice coming in with different ideas, uh, a fresh set of eyes on the roster and on personnel. But uh, I don't see it working unless something is done as far as giving Howie something different in the organization. And I don't know if Jeffrey's ready to go there yet. I don't think so either. I mean, I, if it was up to me, I'd fire Howie, obviously. I think I would want to start fresh, get a new GM, new head coach to pair together. But uh, it's just not going to happen. It's not. Jeffrey Lurie is not firing Howie Roseman. If you wouldn't fire him after the chip debacle, it's not going to fire him now. He did I, move him into a different role. He wrote him into a different role, right, for to prove Chip Kelly. And then I think the the way that season went, though, showed him, like, oh, I don't want to do that again. I, I don't know if I want to do that again. So I, I don't know. I mean, I fire Howie, though. I, I There's no way I let him be in charge of a fourth staff. That's just that, – that, that, I mean, you have to finally accept what the common denominator is of all these struggles at one point in time, and it's him. Now – if he accepts another role and Jeffrey's all about it, for sure, get him in the cap, get him in to deal with the cap, something along those lines. Because I think with the way that the cap situation is, with the way that the roster is, you need somebody that has no emotional connection to this roster whatsoever to come right. in here and fix this roster. And Howie's not going to do that. We know that. But, I mean, knowing Jeffrey Lurie the way that we do, I, I there's just no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way they get rid of high res, but I don't even think they change his role. I'd be surprised. Certainly would be impressive. All right, Ed. So I didn't mean to take up an hour of your time. This is a great episode, a lot of jam-packed insight. Uh, it's always the doom and gloom, but I mean, we try to give some insight of how we can fix the situations, how we feel that they're going on, and people respond well to these episodes. Though I, I we've gotten some great feedback from you guys about how Ed and I just sit down and talk about the Eagles. So we greatly appreciate all you guys tuning in. Ed, as always, thank you for your time. Always contributing for the Eagles brawl. Again, check out Eagles Maven on Sports Illustrated for all great articles from Ed Cross and John McMullen. Great Eagles coverage 24-7 on that page. Even in the, I mean, I see Ed tweet out articles in the middle of midnight. Just, <laughs> hey, if you missed it earlier, hey, I, I, this great article that I have on Sports Illustrated. I mean, you, you have to really, it's, this industry, the media with COVID going on and staying away from the team and really not having that experience this year. Uh, I really, really, truly respect the way that you and John are able to continuously put content out there, continuously keep us informed. Uh, it's just tough during these times. I think you guys will get enough appreciation for it. So, again, Thanks, from John. an Eagles fan who loves reading your analysts, thank you very much for all your hard work. Same to John as well. Guys, if you guys aren't checking out those Sports Illustrated articles, you're missing out, honestly. Uh, if you keep wanting to quote these tweets with the crazy headlines and talk about those articles without even reading them, that's fine. But if you want true analysts without all the guys that are just seeking attention, please go to Ed's articles. It's really good information there, folks. It's really good info that we need. Uh, thanks, you guys, for tuning in. Thank you. What's going on, everybody? It's Eagles Brawl co-host Connor Miles. And I just want to let you know about our partnership with DraftKings. Football is here, and so is your shot at millions. Thanks to our sponsorship with DraftKings, all new players can play for free for millions with your first deposit. So let me just let you know how it works real quick. So you go to DraftKings and you create your first ever DFS account with DraftKings. You make a deposit, minimum $5, and DraftKings will credit your account with a free entry to numerous of contests that can win you millions. Just go to dkng.co slash brawlpod to play. That's dkng.co slash b-r-a-w-l-p-o-d to play quick act quickly this offer won't be around forever minimum five dollar deposit eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com for details and go over there and sign up and support your favorite eagles podcast eagles brawl what's going on everybody it's connor miles co-host of the eagles brawl here i just want to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors that's manscaped Go ahead, the holidays are here. It's time to get your loved ones trimmed, and nicely trimmed that is, by going to manscaped.com and using promo code BRAWL, that's B-R-A-W-L, to get 20% off your order, plus free shipping. You know it, 
He knows it. He needs to trim up. Go to manscaped.com. Get 20% off your order and free shipping when using promo code BRAWL. B-R-A-W-L. Support your favorite Eagles podcast, Eagles Brawl, when purchasing an item off of manscaped.com and also take care of that person you love. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.